Okay. So if you don't know me, my name is Alan, and I'm one of the uh, shepherds here at Greater Alton. And we are in the middle of a series of lessons called This Is Us. And it's been a good lesson series so far, right? So the next two weeks, we're going to take the simple topic of worship. We're going to talk about worship. I'm going to give you a disclaimer right from the beginning. There is The whole Bible is about worship. For me to do a good job, which I'm not even sure I could, we would be here for months unpacking everything that there is to talk about that we could pull out and look at about worship. And there's just no way that we can do that on a couple of Sunday mornings. I'm not even sure that I know enough. i got to tell you, I've been a Christian now for 45, 46 years, something like that, and I'm still learning more about worship all the time. It is that beautiful. It is not easy to see every facet on this particular jewel. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to do my best over the next couple of weeks to show you a few things that I hope will help us take it deeper, to understand worship a little better and to move forward in that worship process, that worshiping of Jesus, worshiping of God. So to get us started, I want to take a look at just the name of this lesson. It's We Worship, dot, dot, dot. We Worship. So is that a true statement? Do we worship I'm not seeing a lot of... Everybody's frozen. <laughs> Nobody wants to go out on a limb. You, you, you've seen me preach before. You know I, I like to set people up and get answers. You, you just don't know where I'm going, do you? Okay, so let me ask a couple more questions to kind of refine it a little bit. How many of you think that what we're doing right now is worship? By a show of hands. Okay, not all of you, some of you. How many of you think that tonight at 7 o'clock you'll still be worshiping? Fewer hands. Of those of you that push your hands up, is it because you suspect that I'm going to be talking still at 7 o'clock tonight? <laughs> Sydney is all the time telling me, you know, you can talk a bit. <laughs> okay, let's go, in, <laughs> let's go another way with it. How many of you were worshiping last night at 7 p.m.? Okay, so... That's the fewest number of hands that I've seen so far. Did you notice the diversity of answers in this crowd? That should tell you that we don't all understand worship exactly the same way, do we? Or we might have answered all those questions more similarly. If we're going to answer the question, do we worship? We're probably going to first need to define some terms. So... What's tricky about worship is it's a common word in our language, isn't it? Everybody's heard that word, and we've heard it used a thousand ways. Have you ever heard someone say, he worships the ground she walks on? Or she worships her kids? What exactly does that mean, though? Is that a good thing? Is it a good thing to worship a spouse or kids? No, you're ahead of me in the lesson. And that, the reason being is spouses and kids make awful gods. But let's get back to the script here for a second. What exactly does it mean to worship? Ah, remember this. I was one time, remember I was a younger guy. 
just a kid in church, I overheard one man talking about how his wife worshipped him. He said, yes, she worships me. She brings me three burnt offerings a day. (laughs) I'm getting some sneers from some young women on the front row here. I said it was a long time ago. (laughs) Okay. It was a while back. (laughs) So the word worship is used in the Bible like over 182 different times. I didn't count that to verify it. I just referenced it. I thought 182 sounds about right. And it could play a little north or south of that, depending on which translation you're looking at. But here's the thing. In the Bible, that word worship is used in a variety of ways. So we've got a a word that we're all familiar with that none of us seem to define exactly the same way, and it doesn't get used in exactly the same way everywhere in Scripture. So this is going to be kind of a tough topic for us to get into, isn't it? How is it most commonly used in churches today? Let's start with that one. Singing, yeah. Most of the time, what's come, what in our and it's been this way for years and years and years, where people talk about going to worship, they're talking about going to church on Sunday. Specifically, they're talking about what we were just doing, singing together. Is that worship? Yes, it is. Is that all there is to worship? Ah, yeah, you're right. The way we typically use the word worship, even in church, is not necessarily the way that the word is used in Scripture. And that can be a problem. See, if we're talking about worship and we don't really understand what it is, I may be misunderstanding some of the most important and precious verses that we've got in the Bible. I may not be actually applying it. Worse, we may not be applying it and actually worshiping the way that God wants us to worship. Not condemning us. I'm just saying we need to look at it to kind of make sure. So what is worship? So the Greek and Hebrew words that get translated into the English word worship are words that communicate attitudes of service, submission, and reverence. Awe. So as I was studying this out, I didn't find any one great, fully satisfying definition of worship. But what I did notice is all the definitions and all the uses of it in the Bible include attitudes of service, submission, And reverence. Is that how we worship? Hold that thought. Put a pin in that one for a second. Something else I found out is that the biblical references to worship include words like fear, love, and sacrifice. See, these are all elements of worship. Fear, love, and sacrifice. And worship is about this attitude of service and submission and reverence. But the scary thing about all of those words is they can describe our relationship to a lot of different things. Can't they? Vocabulary.com will give you a definition. I looked up Oxford's and Merriam-Webster's. This one I thought was interesting. To worship is to show a lot of love and adoration for something. Religious believers worship gods. And people can worship other people and things too. Okay. That's a, that's a bracer, huh? 
because we can get into a big jam. Here's the definition that I, I didn't get this from anybody else. This is my attempt to try to define and distill what I got out of studying worship to come up with some sort of a definition that I thought might work. You be the judge. See if this works for you. Worship is not so much a ritual act as it is a lifestyle. As we were coming to this point, as we were talking earlier, several of you went, well, yeah, we, we talk about singing as worship. But when I asked if that's all there is to worship, you were quick to say, oh, no. No, it's much bigger than that. Well, as I'm studying it out, it's not so much a ritual act as it is a lifestyle. Worship is what I'm doing when I elevate someone or something to such a position of preeminence in my life that I'll make sacrifices to it or them or for it or them out of fear and or love. That's a mouthful, right? But I hope what you're catching here is worship is what I'm doing whenever I elevate someone or something to such a place of preeminence in my life that I'll make sacrifices to it or for it, to them or for them. That can be out of love. That can be out of fear. Okay, so by my definition, if you accept that definition, which I get from my Bible study, that question I had and the title of this lesson, We Worship, is a true statement. We do worship, but it's not just us Christians that worship. I would argue that all people, all humans, worship. We're in fact, all humans were created to worship. So, in fact, we do worship. What am I talking about? You know the story out of Genesis. God made, said, let us make man in our image. Yeah, which is about worship. You know why in the temple they didn't have idols? Because the humans were the image of God. The, 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 the statues and things that were in commonly in pagan temples and rituals were to give you some idea of what God looks like. God never wanted that. He wanted you and me to be what looks like him. That's how we were, cre- were created. What are the things that you can think of that bear an image? Money? Yeah, we have, a, we have pictures on there. What about statues? Those things bear images, and they tell you something about who this represents or what this represents. How about a mirror? Does a mirror bear your image? Have you ever grabbed a mirror and angled it and directed light into different places? Maybe even used it to see into a dark corner? I believe that whenever God made us, he made us with this reflective quality. He made us with a desire to worship, and we do reflect. It's just a question of who we reflect. In God's design, it really looks like he intended us to reflect him into this world, to reflect his rule and his reign, to bring his light into this world. But we know the story. We know what happened. Sin entered the world through Adam, and that's what angled the mirror to reflect other things besides God into the world. You following? As things stand today, 
we have some people that image God and reflect his light and others, frankly most people, reflecting something else, bringing darkness, chaos, disorder, and decreation, actually unraveling everything that God set into order. If you go back and you look at the account in Genesis, it starts with nothing and then it goes to chaos. And systematically, God brings order to chaos. And then he creates Adam and Eve and says, I want you to rule and subdue this planet with me, with my power. And the intent was, as humans, we were created to reflect God into this world. And then sin came along. Adam listened to something else other than God. So did Eve. They listened to the deceiver. They listened to the serpent. And through that, they angled the mirror away from God and onto something else that was created rather than the creator himself. And that's how this world got so jacked up. Anybody else besides me? Just not. I'm having a hard time processing the level of destruction going on in the Middle East right now. And it's been going on my entire life. And yet what we're seeing right now is just absolutely horrific. What I would tell you is that is a great example of worship again. Misaligned, demonic idolatry. People reflecting things besides God into the world. And it just gets that horrible. So let's bring it back to us. Who or what do I worship? I would always quickly tell you it's Jesus. But i got to be honest. Am I really imaging him? See, sometimes people worship things without realizing it. Have you found this to be true in your life too? I find myself fearing, loving, and sacrificing for things other than Jesus sometimes. And I'm not sure if it's always a problem until it does this and I elevate whatever that is above what Jesus says. One of the common ways this happens to us is I know I need to be more invested in serving his kingdom and partnering in ministry at this church. But if I do, I can't take that job. And that job is going to pay me a lot of money. Who am I going to worship? God wants me to not be unequally yoked. But she is so pretty. He is so cool. I'll change him. Who am I going to worship? Who am I going to reflect? You see, it's not that simple, is it? So here's some things that you can ask yourself to try and find out if there's any idols in your life. Ask yourself this, what do I fear? What do I love? What do I sacrifice for? Am I worshiping those things? I could be. I could be. And if I am, it's a big, big problem. Exodus 20, 3 through 5, very familiar verse to us. God says to the Israelites, you are to have no other gods but me. You are not to make an image or a picture of anything in heaven or on the earth or in the waters or under the earth. You may not go down on your faces before them or give them worship. Pretty express, right? 
And yet, what did the Israelites do? If you've read your Old Testament much at all, you know they had a horrible, difficult time obeying this. They had major, major problems with worshiping other gods. And it destroyed their lives. It destroyed their influence. The purpose that God created Israel to serve got mangled. It destroyed their nation. How did it happen? Because you know if it happened to them, it could also happen to us. Keep in mind, we're talking about a group of people who saw God part a sea. They, many of them walked through on dry land. They saw God's power displayed in undeniable, spectacular, supernatural ways. And yet they still ended up worshiping other gods. If it could happen to them, do you think it could happen to us? Yeah. So how did it happen? There's a word for it that theologians will throw out there. They call it syncretism. Heard this one? Syncretism. It's kind of like synchronize. Syncretism is trying to combine religions, cultures, or schools of thought. It's trying to combine them. Invariably, whenever you try to do this, you will compromise on one of those standards. It's because they're so mutually exclusive. Christianity claims to be truth. That's as divisive as it gets. Because if you disagree with it, it says you are wrong. How do you combine that with our current political scenarios that we've got in the, in the country? It's really tough to combine them, isn't it? You end up changing one or both. Syncretism, frankly, is just idolatry. It's idol worship. We, we sometimes think, well, we, we're a modern society. We don't worship idols anymore. Because it doesn't look the same. We don't have these marble temples with these little statues going on, right? But, you know, you mentioned money. How many people worship money? My guess for the two big idols in our society are sex and power, wealth. And there's a, there's a plethora of them. All of them come back to, I want me to be served rather than I want me to serve. And it's idol worship. In 2 Kings 23, 4-20, we're told a story about a king named Josiah. Josiah came along after Manasseh. Manasseh had become king when he was 12 years old. His father had been a reformer, but Manasseh decided, scrap all that. Everybody, can't we just combine some of these things? Can't we compromise a little bit? So he starts, and you just you can read about what all Manasseh did. It was absolutely horrible what kind of a guy he was. But he even went so far as to go into the temple of God and put in these different statues, these different idols, so that whenever you went to meet with God, here were all the other gods that you were meeting with too. That's, that's pretty sick, isn't it? And yet in 1 Corinthians 6... Paul tells us that today, you and me, we, together and individually, form God's temple. We don't have a marble one. We don't have one covered with gold in Israel anymore. It's us. It's the church. And the truth is, we still have idols in the temple today, too, don't we? 
So how much syncretism do you see in our society? You see a bunch, don't you? How about in our churches? I've, I've talked with uh, different, different people from different churches, and some of them are like, you know what, we've decided to embrace homosexuality. You know, we want our preachers and our teachers, if they want to be homosexual, we think that's fine. They're embracing abortion. They're embracing a lot of stuff. They're trying the syncretic, the syncretism deal. It's still modern day idol worship. And the thing I'm putting before us is it's not just them that has to worry about this. It's about us because we can get, you know what the problem with modern day idols are? They hide. They hide really good. They hide in plain sight. And so I think what's falling to us, and this is where worship, I, I've taken a lot of time to try to bring the topic here. I told you there's a whole lot here. Just like Josiah, he had to go through and clean out the temple and, and get the idols out to restore the function of the temple. The temple wasn't functioning with all those idols in it. And we are now the temple. If we're going to function as a temple is supposed to function, we're going to have to deal with the idols that threaten to pull us off course. What's the function of a temple? The function of the temple was a place where people could go to meet God, to be in his presence. Do you think that's you? It absolutely is. Do you think that's us? It absolutely is. Maybe next week I can get into it a little bit more. But what we're doing here this morning is a part of our worship, our lifestyle of putting God first. And we invite the public to be here and to be a part of it. Whenever we're praying for people that you've met, you are interceding for them. It's like them going to temple. When they come and they see us and they're they're here with us on a Sunday morning, it's like them going to the temple because we are a part of that temple. So we've got to deal with idolatry, and it starts with recognizing that we have idols, looking for them, and realizing the only way to, re, to get rid of them is to go after it through our worship, to make sure that we switch our worship from anything that threatens God's preeminence. Okay, so, wow, all that time. Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. And I'm going to try to fly through these last points so I don't keep you here till 7 o'clock tonight. Um, Romans 12, 1 and 2. Paul said this. He said, and and he, he writes this to a group of guys, that, a, a group of churches in Rome. I've got to give you this a little bit of background on this. In Rome, Paul wanted to set up Rome to be, it, it appears, he wanted to set up Rome to be his new hub, his new place uh, where the churches there supported him, a base of operations, because he had ambitions of going on over to Gaul. He really wanted to expand the kingdom of God. He wanted to take the gospel someplace that had never been preached before. He needed a home base. But the problem with Rome is the churches and the Christians there couldn't get along. They all did church different. They had different styles of worship. And they couldn't work it out. What happened is there were initially the earliest Christians were Jewish. And then the Gentiles started becoming Christians, right? Well, then it was Claudius who decided to kick all the Jews out of Rome. And he didn't make a distinction between Christian Jews and just Jewish Jews. So everybody that was Jewish, Christian or not, got kicked out of Rome. What left behind in Rome was a bunch of these small house churches that were basically Gentiles. 
And so whenever Claudius dies, the Jews start coming back into Rome. And the Jewish Christians are like, church is not the same as I remember it. They sing different songs than I grew up with. They don't take the Lord's Supper like we took it. I don't know if they're really Christians. And so Paul has got this whole long letter. and He gives us so much information in here. But he's really dealing with this, this, dif, this difference in worship and worshiping together. And he makes this statement in chapter 12. He says, and so dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world. But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. I'm halfway done with this lesson and I've taken longer than what I intended. I'm going to give you guys a choice. Would you like to stop now? Just stop here and I can finish up this lesson next week? Or would you like me to press on? Wow, I thought everybody would be thinking about football and, and hot wings, but okay, that's just me. Maybe I have an idol there too. Anyway, uh, I'm just saying I'm struggling with the same thing everybody else is. Okay, so we'll, we'll try to move through this as quickly as we can. Worship that God accepts. Did you notice in Romans, in Romans 12 there, he said... This is the true way to worship him. It's the kind of worship that he will find acceptable. Is that what we are united in pursuing here today? Yes? Is everybody here united in this, that we really want this, that we really want to find the worship that God accepts? Okay, I'm in too. I want it. I don't want to get led astray. Okay, Let's look at what he says here about that acceptable worship. The first thing that you're going to, that I see in here is the worship that God accepts is personal. It's personal. He says, give your bodies to God. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice. Giving your body is personal. Am I right? Giving my money is easy by comparison. We just had a great special contribution. A lot of people gave a lot of money. But what I found with money is I can give it and walk away from it. Whenever I give my body, what in the world is he talking about? First thing I would tell you is that if I'm going to worship in a way that's acceptable to God, I'm going to have to make it personal, which means I'm going to have to do more than simply showing up for church on Sunday mornings. can't just show up and expect everybody else to carry me along and call it worship. I've got to show up. Hopefully we'll get on to that next week a little bit and look at the verses that, that don't make it optional, but make it absolutely necessary for us to get together. But it's not just coming here and sitting here and expecting somebody else to make me feel good. It's not coming in and making sure that the music is the way you like it. And that the prayer time isn't embarrassing like the way we do it. All these other things that I could go on down the line. 
I'm going to have to make it more than just showing up. I'm going to have to show up and make it personal. What does God mean when he says to sacrifice my body? Well, he's using bodies as a reference to the entire self. He, it's not the first time in this letter that he talks this way. There's another, another example of it. It's over in Romans 6, verse 13. It's insightful here. He says, don't offer the parts of your body to sin, to be used as weapons to do wrong. Oh, man, I hope that word, if you've got a pencil, circle weapons. Because this is a big thought for me. Don't offer your body, your parts of your body to sin, to be used as weapons to do wrong. Instead, present yourselves. He doesn't say your bodies. He says yourselves. You see the contrast? He's talking about the same thing. When he's talking about your body, he's talking about your whole self. He says, instead, present yourselves to God as people who have been brought back to life from the dead and offer all the parts of your body to God to be used as weapons to do what's right. Circle weapons again. Did you realize that God intends, desires, wants to use me and you as a weapon? As a weapon. That is not passive, guys. That is not wall art. That is about being out on the front lines to be a weapon for righteousness. Does anybody else think that's cool? I think that that is exciting to be thought of that that God would use me, would use us as a weapon to do his will. But here again, there's no middle ground. Whenever it comes to worship, there's no, well, I do or I don't worship. Everybody worships. It's who or what I worship. And everybody is a weapon in a war that you may or may not believe yet is going on. You're either a weapon for God and for good, or you're being used as a weapon for darkness, deconstruction, chaos. God wants to use us for good as a weapon. When I take my worship serious, when I make it personal, I will be a powerful weapon in God's invasion of this earth. You know, we pray it all the time. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Where? On earth as it is in heaven. In each Christian, there is a connection, an intersection between earth and heaven. Because God puts in you the spirit, his spirit. And there exists inside of you, you are that, 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 the divine lives inside of us. And so we, each one of us, stand at the intersection of heaven and earth. And as a church, we stand at the intersection between heaven and earth. And we've had this happen here so many times, so many names and faces, where people walk in these doors and they sense something is different here. Something is different. These people are different. It feels different. People can often feel it before they even start talking to us. I've had people tell me, it was just something about being here. I could just feel it. And I've not had that from one person. I've had that from several people. And I believe it's because we are that intersection. We are the temple. We're where people can come to meet God. And he wants 
to use us as weapons for this invasion because for each one of us that comes to Christ, there is another little spot of light that joins the fight to push back darkness. There's a little bit more territory that's taken. That's what we're into here, guys. So worship that God accepts is personal. I'll never be a weapon for God if I don't make it personal. Two, it's powerful. He says, let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Worship that God accepts is powerful. See, again, you can come to church and leave unchanged. You can sit there and and fiddle with your phone. You can sit there and whisper to your neighbor or daydream about any number of things. Does that sound like God changing you by changing the way you think? For God to change you, you're going to have to let him have his way with you. You're going to have to pay attention to him, to his people, to his words. Right? We were created to worship, and our worship both exposes us and changes us. Our worship does both. It exposes us and changes us. That's why worship is so powerful. I'm going to read a rather long chunk of of passage here. It's actually 10 verses. It's out of Romans 1. This is, again, Paul writing this letter to this very fractured, divisive church in Rome. And as he's getting this letter going, these are where his thoughts are going to. I want to read these to you. And I want to see if it sounds to you like it could almost be written yesterday. He says, starting in verse 22, he says, They said they were wise, but they became fools. They traded the glory of God, who lives forever, for the worship of idols, made to look like earthly people, birds, animals, and snakes. Because they did these things, God left them and let them go their sinful way, wanting only to do evil. As a result, they became full of sexual sin, using their bodies wrongly with each other. They traded the truth of God for a lie. They worshipped and served what had been created instead of the God who created those things who should be praised forever. Amen. Because people did those things, God left them and let them do the shameful things they wanted to do. Women stopped having natural sex and started having sex with other women. In the same way, men stopped having natural sex and began wanting each other. Men did shameful shameful things with other men, and in their bodies they received the punishment for those wrongs. People did not think it was important to have a true knowledge of God. So God left them and allowed them to have their own worthless thinking and to do the things they should not do. Pause for just a second here. Have you caught a a phrase that keeps getting repeated over and over? God left them. He let them go do what they wanted to do. If you read earlier, if you read this chunk, and I'd encourage anybody to read all these verses in context to make sure I'm not spinning anything. But if you read what Paul is introducing in this thought just, just before where I started reading, he's talking about the wrath of God is being revealed. You could see it right then. The wrath of God looks to me like it's whenever God 
leaves and lets you have your way. When he stops trying to stop you. Let that thing sink in for a second. Because how many of us keep resisting God and we don't realize that it's idolatry? Because there's something, somebody else, that we fear, love, and will sacrifice more for than him. And eventually God gets to a point where he says, okay, fine, that's what you want, go do it. We think of the wrath of God. We, we hear preachers all the time talk about tornadoes and floods and global warming and nuclear holocaust and you know AIDS. I remember that as a kid. They were talking about AIDS being the wrath of God. Well, Paul's version of the wrath of God looks a little different. It's not about God coming down and punishing, torturing people. He's not that kind of a God. His wrath is where he says, fine, if you want that and you will not relent, go have it. If that's what you want, go do it. I'll stop trying to stop you. Let's pick back up here again. Verse 29. He says they're filled. This is the result of idolatry. This is the result of of worshiping created things rather than the creator. They're filled with every kind of sin, evil, selfishness, and hatred. Man, does that not sound like our society. They are full of jealousy, murder, fighting, lying, and thinking the worst about each other. They gossip and say evil things about each other. They hate God. They're rude and conceited and brag about themselves. They invent ways of doing evil. They do not obey their parents. They're foolish. They don't keep their promises. And they show no kindness or mercy to others. Listen to this last sentence. They know God's law says that those who live like this should die. But they themselves not only continue to do these evil things, they applaud others who do them. Written 2,000 years ago. Could have been written last week. Right? I told you, it's a battle. And we're choosing through this issue of worship... Which weapon, which side we're going to be a weapon for? Worship is powerful for good or bad. Idols are twisted versions of reality. Twisted versions of reality. Anybody here? I don't want to see hands on this one. Anybody here struggle with pornography? It is a huge issue. In churches everywhere. We're not immune to it here. When you're looking at pornography. Are you looking at reality? At what real sex is? It is a twisted version of reality. When you think about becoming a bazillionaire. Having, you know, winning the lottery and having all this money. Do you think the idea of having all that money and all that wealth is a twisted version of reality and what wealth is. People are destroyed by that too. I think I've made the point. Idols are just twisted versions of reality. And the reality is, is if I worship a created object, that can be a person, that could be a principle, that could be a politic or political figure or persuasion. If I worship a created object, I will become twisted 
Do you see how that works? And how do I worship? I put it in a position of preeminence above God. That's going to be my loudest voice. It can be out of fear. It can be out of love. But I end up sacrificing to it or for it because it's more important to me. And I'll become twisted. And let's just face it, folks. We've all, every one of us in here, been twisted by worshiping idols of one sort or another. Am I right? I mean, it was awfully quiet. I'm feeling like I'm a little naked here because I'm confessing. Right? Okay, good. It, it's, I'm on target. It's, it's really us. It's not me. Okay. I've, I've been told the most healing words in the English language are me too. Every one of us have gotten caught in this snare. It's so obvious. Every one of us have been twisted by worshiping the wrong gods. And it didn't happen like we were thinking, oh, I think I'll just worship this instead of Jesus. It doesn't come at us quite that plainly. It sneaks up on us. But here's the thing that I want to put on the table too because this is huge. God in his mercy has provided a way to undo that twisting and to make us better than brand new. The first Adam was made out of dirt. Yeah? The new Adam, the last Adam... He's made out of Jesus. He is Jesus. And every Christian has that personal presence of God inside you. The Holy Spirit. You are made of better, richer, tougher stuff than you were formerly. And God is actively working to untwist us and to make us into the image of of Jesus. Look what he says in Romans 8. We're still in Romans. This is still us eavesdropping in on the conversation Paul's having with these, these churches in Rome. He says, for those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image. There's that word again, image. There's worship again. To the image of his son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers. Worship is powerful. It is powerful. It transforms us by shaping the way we think about ourselves, transforming the way we think about our purpose and the world around us. And the plain fact of the matter is, I will resemble whoever or whatever I worship. You know what the problem with a self-made man is, right? He worships his creator. And it gets really ugly really fast. My worship will lead either to my ruin or my restoration. My worship will lead either to my ruin or my restoration. And the choice is before us. Worship is powerful. Not the Americanized, come to church on Sunday morning, maybe sing the songs, and go home an hour or so later. That's not that powerful. That doesn't transform much of anything. But when you make it personal and you put God at the top, it is powerful because it will change you and transform you. And we know what, he, what the finished version is going to look like. He hasn't left us in the dark as to what he wants to make out of us. He's turning us into Jesus.
Again, I get pretty jazzed about that one. Last one I got this morning, and I am so late. Uh, the last one is public. The worship that God accepts is public. I said it was personal in that first point. I didn't say it was private. Syncretism, that trying to blend some things. We live in a world that will say, it's okay if you're a Christian, but you keep it to yourself. What you worship is your private business. I don't want to hear anything about it. But worship that God accepts is public. Who will you listen to? The world around you or to God? How do I know that it's supposed to be public? Well, Jesus comment on it. Uh, first of all, in, in Paul's letter, he's saying, Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. That word perfect is the Greek word teleos. It, has, it sometimes gets translated as mature. It's about being complete. He's making a sustained argument here about our worship and how it transforms us. And this kind of worship, when it's personal, it's powerful, and it allows us to know what God's will is for us and to make us mature. You tracking with me? Jesus said this in Matthew five fourteen through 16. And I'm wrapping up here. He said, you are the light of the world. Formerly, Jesus said that he was the light of the world. But here he says, now you are. Worship, image bearing, reangling the mirror properly. That's all in play here, guys. When we worship Jesus, we angle, he angles the mirror. We, we work with him to angle that mirror to catch his light. And guess what we do with that light? We reflect it we're into all the dark places where we go. He says, now you're the light. And then he makes this point. He says, a city on a hill cannot be hidden. Does this sound like private worship to you? Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. It gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. Do you see in that verse all the elements of everything we talked about this morning? Do you see how worshiping God, worshiping Jesus, makes you a weapon for good? To not just get you to heaven someday, but to bring heaven here. And to help other people who are stumbling around in the dark. And we have all can relate. We've all been hoodwinked. We've all been kept in the dark at some point or another, trying to do what we thought was best, only to find out that it was disastrous. That's what the dominion of darkness is about. That's what worshiping idols does. And yet God has graciously, through Jesus, allowed you and me to become a part of his kingdom, not based on the merits of, of, of our worship, not based on anything other than our faith, but if we are going to worship him now, if our loyalty and our allegiance is to Jesus above everything else, he is going to transform us. And when he transforms us, he's not doing it just so that we can feel good about ourselves. He's doing it because he wants his light to be shining in this world. Because that's how the rest of the world gets transformed. It's a part of his plan. That make the, make the case? Okay. That's about all I got for you today on worship. I'm going to close out with this last thought.
Why should I worship this way? Why should I worship this way? Because what I'm presenting to us is not going to be easy, is it? This is not going to be something that we can just talk about for a while and forget about. This is going to go right to the core of who we are. Why should you do that? Why should I do that? Paul tells us at the beginning of Romans 12, in view of God's mercy, in view of all that he's done for us. I'd I'd encourage you to go back and study through the book of Romans and listen to Paul's arguments about what God has done for us. To remind yourselves again, we were lost. We were bent for destruction. We were being used to hurt not only ourselves but other people. We were making the world worse. And God, even at our lowest, said, no, if you'll follow me, I'll have you. And he paid a price that none of us can really fully get our heads around. We celebrate it every Sunday when we take that little cup of juice and that little piece of of bread. Because we're thinking about the Jesus, the great I am, that stepped into our world to become one of us. So that he could open up the door for the rest of us. We didn't deserve it. We don't deserve it. And he's done it for us anyway. Every other religion. Every other religion. Has acceptance. At the end. When you've earned it. You with me? Christianity isn't a religion. Based on that definition. Because acceptance comes at the beginning. Before we've done anything to earn it. Jesus earned it, and he gave it to us for free. And that motivates me to want to follow him and to take my worship deeper and to get better at it. But I'm going to tell you this, and it's a little bit of a clue into where I'm going to try to go next week. I can't do it alone. I'm going to need your help. I think you're going to need some help too. And so next week we can talk about how we worship together. If you would, let's... Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, to be able to even call you Father, I think sometimes I take for granted. To be able to come into your presence and worship, and to worship with brothers and sisters that you've bought and made my family, to surround me with help, to surround me with encouragement, and correction, and to allow me to get better at worship, better at hearing your voice, better at finding the idols that are still in my heart. Father, how could I, how could I ever deserve that, or how could I ever pay that back? And you're not asking me to pay it back. You're just asking me to worship you and only you. And you've never changed on that. You've been that way from the very beginning. And God, it's better worshiping you it's better for me it's better for the world around me father i pray that through this series that we'll look at different aspects including worship but that we will deeply deeply desire more connection with you a true worship more transformation more power and more of your way being had in this world in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
I will never be the same again. I can never return. I close the door. I will walk the path. I'll run the race. And I will never be the same again. I will never be the same again. I can never return. Go back. Love close the door. I will walk the path. I will walk the path. I'll run the race. And I will never be the same again. Call like fire. Come on and soak like say 